This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Defined by grace, 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 community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Good afternoon. It's good to be with everybody today. Um, it's been really fun to walk through this kingdom mindset. We've walked through this now for the last three weeks and really thinking through the ways in which God's kingdom really does operate in a very upside down fashion. We've been talking about why it's even a blessing that God's kingdom work like this. I mean, what is it that makes this paradox a blessing? How is it a blessing when we see so many of the the ways in which the way we are taught to think and the way we function and what we say should bring you a blessing is very opposite. I'm going to read through what we've read through so far, including our text today, and just sit and think through again just how opposite God's kingdom works. Because now it's very easy for us to get in this mindset that the way we just typically function and the way we typically operate, we just think it just It makes sense. We'll sprinkle more of the Jesus juice on it and sprinkle God somewhere in there and just make it all fit. But Jesus really does turn things upside down. So back in Matthew 5, this most famous sermon that Jesus has preached, think about the words that he uses and how upside down things really are. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began teaching, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Blessed are the humble. Now, for those of us who have been raised in church with other versions, we know this as blessed are the meek. What does it mean? To be meek. I don't know about you, but when you hear the word meek right out, right out, right off the off the gate, you don't typically think of something that um, that is praiseworthy. At least our culture doesn't value meekness as praiseworthy. Like there's not a leader that people look for, and in the first twenty things that they look for as far as characteristics, they're not looking for meekness. When you look, when people are looking for uh, who's going to train me well, if I have a coach, I've never had one. I didn't play football for as long as some people here. But when I played football, I didn't have a coach that was meek. I didn't have any. When I played basketball, I didn't have a coach that was meek. When I was in the military, I didn't have a drill sergeant that was meek. Because our culture says you need to have somebody who's going to teach you to exert everything about yourself, impose some things about yourself onto other people in order to win. That's just what it is, right? The imposition of oneself upon another in order to get some type of predetermined goal that you've determined is good for yourself. So nobody looks for meekness as a value outside of something else intervening. When you look, you know, I grew up loving a lot of the action movies. Remember, uh, I grew up in the 90s, 80s and 90s, and I remember there was a guy named John Claude Van Damme. And I see, I got a few amens in here. He said, love Jean-Claude Van Damme. My brothers and I, you know, if you, if you ever watch any of these action movies, especially like martial arts, immediately you want to test it on each other. So my brothers and I, we would be fighting each other and giving each other black eyes and swore we were ninjas. 
And I loved uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies because he would do these, all these tricks and these crazy splits. And, but the storylines were always so compelling to like a seven or eight-year-old. Like it was so compelling because it would always be, and this is how a lot of action movies were. The action movie starts with the first half of the movie is horrible, unjust things happening to our protagonist. There's a good guy, good girl. She is, he is, he or she is in this situation where they are doing good things and caring for people and not doing anything wrong. And then injustice or atrocity or tragedy hits them. And then you get to halfway through the movie and that's where you can almost hear, you can almost hear the voiceover person says, they pushed her too far. And now you're ready to see. Now, what is she going to do because she has been pushed that far? All of us want to know, what did you do when you got pushed that far? You know what we didn't ask? How meek were you? We don't do that. See, what's the, the last time you've seen a movie where uh, instead of everything we just laid out, right? You've got horrible things happening. Our protagonist, he's dealing with all the things. Van Damme is getting in trouble because people did something to his wife and he's trying to go get revenge. And you never get the voiceover that says, they almost pushed him too far. But he calmly and gently de-escalated the situation so no one got hurt. That's not a movie we want to watch. That's not something that endears you to want to even pay for a ticket for a movie like that. You're like, no, no conflict. Nobody got beat up. You didn't show me how you handle. Because you know what? A lot of times, I suspect this is the case for a lot of us. The reason why we like entertainment is because on some, some level, we can vicariously live out some of the values that are at play. I like to feel it. I may not be able to impose my will on everybody around me, but I can vicariously do it through Van Damme. I can vicariously do it through, uh, even if I like combat sports, I can vicariously live through the physical imposition of will on somebody else because I'm not here for meekness. I'm here for winning. I'm here for victory. So we don't value meekness first. Something has to intervene to make you want to care about meekness or humility, being humble, being gentle, being kind. None of that. The way that we look for our leaders, the way that we look for politicians, the things that we value about the most popular CEOs, it ain't meekness. And yet, Jesus says the opposite. Jesus says that meekness is actually what is one of the tickets into the kingdom. Not only tickets into the kingdom, but meekness is something that is true of the people who reside in the kingdom. Meekness. So what does meekness mean? We've talked already about the Beatitudes and about how uh, these Beatitudes are characteristics of those who are members of God's kingdom. Notice, they begin and end with, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we know if you have these values, these characteristics, you are in God's kingdom. So what does it actually mean then to be meek? And I should start with the reason why I think a lot of, throughout even church history, people have struggled with this word. And I think part of it is because we typically assign gender qualities to this word far too often, and it's actually wrong. So a lot of folks will go, okay, well, the meekness side, that's more like the feminine qualities of God. Because we identify one or two passages where we see maybe women being uh, told to conduct a certain way. And so they go, see, that's, that's the meekness thing. 
people have struggled with that for some time because those who are like, well, I don't know if I can identify with that kind of meekness thing. I mean, that's that's for my wife or sister or, you know, other people, other women to do. Uh, for men, a lot of times, like, I, don't, I don't know what to do with that. Or women may be like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. I don't necessarily have that trait, right? But the question is really, is that even true? Is that something that is just relegated for these feminine qualities? Well, throughout Greek history, the answer is no. When you actually look at the text, you look throughout the way the usage of this word in the Greek has been used, it's not been used exclusively or even predominantly to describe whatever we would consider feminine traits. It's often been used in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's used as a a soft breeze or a soothing medicine or a trained or tamed animal. That's probably why they wanted to use it for women, because they just always want to talk about women being tame. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, We go too far with these things. And so ultimately, we've got to step back and go, what is the big picture that Jesus is getting us to? Because notice, this isn't just a quote-unquote feminine quality. This is a Christ-like quality. So if Christ has it, we should have it. If we're lacking meekness, we're lacking something about who Jesus is. So getting into this into this more, when you look at the way this word uh, is used, this word that's translated, and it's a hard word because it's, it's translated so many different ways. The word in the, in the Greek is praus, and this word is used multiple times in the New Testament. You see it used as an adjective four times. You see it once in 1 Peter 3, that is talking about wives and talking about uh, the, uh, ways in which wives should be gentle. But then it's used three other times in Matthew, where Jesus is just talking to everyone, and it's translated either gentle, humble, or meek. We re- referred to this last week, right, when Jesus says, I am meek and lowly in heart, Matthew 1. And here in our text in Matthew 5, blessed are the meek or humble. Later in Matthew 21, you see uh, Zechariah 9.9 being quoted. And this is the passage that we saw during the triumphal entry, as we talked about uh, a few months ago, when Jesus is coming in on a donkey and they quote from Zechariah that says, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. Do you still think meekness is just for one side? Jesus comes in meekness. Now, when you look at how this word is used even more so as a noun, you see 12 times in the scriptures where it's used. I'm going to go through a few of them. First Peter 3, the, the example that we saw with women, but a little bit later, Peter also says, we love this first part of the passage, right? Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason of the hope that you have, right? And then right after that, what does he say? But do this with gentleness. That's meekness, same word. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says it's preferable if he can visit Corinth with a spirit of gentleness or meekness. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I appeal to you by the gentleness and meekness of Christ. Paul says in Galatians, gentleness there is listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit. He actually lists gentleness before self-control. So you've got to lead one to the other. You look at uh, Galatians 6.1, he again Uh, highlights the spirit of gentleness. In Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, you see gentleness as one of the traits of leading a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You see meekness again in 1 Timothy 6 and 2 Timothy 2, when uh, gentleness is one of the qualities that Timothy is told to pursue and to cultivate. 
And then another one of Paul's protégés, Titus, another young pastor, Paul is giving wisdom to and giving advice to. And he says, gentleness is one of the traits that Titus is supposed to remind everybody on Crete where he pastored that church, remind everyone to be gentle and to be meek. And then the brother of Jesus, James, in chapters one and chapters three, he says things like, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And later, by his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. So there's something about meekness that is beyond just, well, this is just what a good, quiet spouse should be. That's not what this is at all. There's something about meekness that really should be true of our hearts. What does it mean to be gentle and to be humble? This isn't a gendered word at all. This isn't this idea that a quiet spirit is some feminine virtue. This is a Christ-like virtue, and every follower of Jesus should possess and pursue this. It's this heart posture and a mindset of gentle, humble self-control. So if we were to define it, we would say, I would say, meekness is this mild-mannered and self-controlled ways that men and women comport themselves. It's a quality of, of animals that are tame, but it's a quality of gentle, of humans when they're gentle. The reason why it's important is because many times people will use, there's a really, really famous kind of analogy or word picture that a lot of uh, pastors and even commentaries have used that I actually think is not accurate. And, and it's not accurate. Most times people would say, well, the way you think about uh, uh, meekness is power restrained. It's one of the most popular ways to describe meekness, power restrained. Here's the danger with defining meekness that way. The moment you're defining or, uh, or attaching power to gentleness, you still underscore the fact that you still want power. So when people, people don't want to feel, they're like, well, I don't, I don't know how I feel about meekness. That seems too weak. Well, let me start with me being the strong one, and I've just got to restrain my power that's already there. Do you see the built-in sin that's still there? That's never meant what it should. So a lot of times people will use this example. That is true. There's no question that when you look throughout Greek history, there's a word that people use that means to make gentle or to tame. And so when you would tame a wild horse or a wild stallion, they would use that word praus to, to define what it means, to describe what it means to make a horse tame, right? So they do what they need to do to make the horse gentle. But it has nothing to do with uh, uh, only things that are strong are to be gentle or all the only things that have wild, unbridled energy and strength are to be gentle. You don't need to have, you don't need to see yourself as having power in order to see yourself as needing to be gentle. You just need to be gentle. There are some people who might have incredible privilege and power, and because of that and their sin nature, they need to be restrained in order to be tame and gentle. But it's not power itself that is the defining feature of humility and gentleness and meekness. So we don't need to, to get to this place where we're like, well, I just want to think of it as power restrained, because think about who Jesus is talking to. The people he's talking to don't have any power. They don't have any political power. They don't have anything within themselves to assert any sense of strength, any sense of power, any sense of privilege. So we can't be talking about, hey, listen, find a way to restrain this incredible inordinate amount of power that you have. 
So sometimes we look at this because we want to even boost ourselves up before we bring ourselves down. We don't need to do that here. This isn't about power per se. It is this quality of what it means to be gentle if I'm a human. What it means to, to even if there are uh, unbridled emotions and impulses, what it means to tame those things. So let's get even more granular here. What does it look like then? What does it look like to be meek or humble? What does it look like to be meek with respect to uh, personal offense? This is big. How do you respond when you are personally offended? Be honest. How do you respond when you're personally offended? I do not talk as one who has arrived in this department. These are not easy. This idea of meekness means that you're gentle in response to personal offense. Why? Because you trust God with ultimate judgment. That's not easy. Because again, our culture is like, use whatever resources you have to bring about justice for yourself. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what a strong person does. That's who we look up to. So how in the world can you be offended and then just kind of sit on that? Now keep in mind, if we had time, we could walk through. This isn't necessarily a call to self-neglect. This isn't a call to be in, in abusive situations. But it really is a call to checking your heart at the door. What is motivating me on a heart level to do the next thing I'm going to do? When I'm ready to, if and when I respond to being offended, out of what am I responding? Am I responding out of my own sense of self, my own sense of pride? This is the question. How do I respond when I'm offended? Look at the example of Jesus. I mean, Jesus is able to tell us things that he's had to model and embody himself. Look at how Peter described Jesus in 1 Peter 2. When he was maligned, he did not answer back. When he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, but committed himself to God who judges justly. Now, this passage is powerful and is good. And many times when I read it, I'm like, and that's why I'm not Jesus. Because that doesn't occur naturally for me. He was God. He had a lot of benefits I don't have. I, I don't have God's nature in me. True. But that is what we are aspiring to. That is what the Holy Spirit is constantly calling us to. So it doesn't mean that we're always going to do this perfectly. But eventually, we got to get to this place where it's like, Lord, how do I respond to people who insult me? What is happening at the deepest seat of my heart when I'm insulted? What am I drawing on when I'm ready to respond? The meek respond with gentleness. Doesn't mean necessarily that we don't respond. Sometimes there are times where we can just let it ride. There are times where we may need to respond. But how do you respond? What are you holding on to when you respond? Are we, are we blessing as opposed to cursing? Are we serving as opposed to seeking revenge? Are we still going, I'm going to lean on God because I trust God's justice in this matter? Look, let's just be honest. It is hard to leave justice with God in, in, in reference to personal offense. It can be hard. 
We don't all have to act super, super holy. Sometimes things happen and you're like, I'm not sure I can let this one ride. And you may not say it that way, but you're functioning like it's even worse when you're still using good God speak while you're still planning out how you're going to defend yourself or how you're going to retaliate or how you're going to set them up in an argument or wait for a time to come and pounce on them later. Maybe that's just me. It's hard to leave justice with God in regards to personal offense. There are times when defending ourselves is appropriate. There are times when defending ourselves is right. There are times when certain claims were made about Jesus and he did respond. And there were times when he didn't. So that also means that on some level in our maturity, there's got to be a a level of wisdom when we know when the right time is to respond when not. How do we respond when we do choose to do so? Because the meek respond with gentleness. So in order to figure this out, it's going to take some real wisdom. It requires that we take, we regularly take what I would call a beatitudinal in, uh, inventory of our hearts. Just had to make that word up because I think it's really important. It, if you're going to use the Beatitudes as the litmus test by which you evaluate your heart, then you've got to start with what we just talked about. Start at the beginning. Okay, I'm getting ready to respond. Somebody said something or did something and it insulted me. We're not talking about necessarily somebody's abusing or hurting, different thing. But if, you, if you're insulted, you're offended legitimately. Here's the litmus test that you've got to run. Okay, well, let me start. Have I worked through the first part of the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Am I in a place right now, even though I'm mad and I'm upset and I've been offended, am I intellectually uh, focusing on the fact that I'm still spiritually broken? And there are parts of me that remain spiritually bankrupt in some places. If I start there, Now I go from blessed are the poor in spirit to blessed are they that mourn. So I've moved from the intellectual assessment down to the emotional response. Am I emotionally broken over my own sin before I get ready to respond? Here's why that's important. You should always be in the position where you will mourn your sin more than you will mourn other people's sin against you. If you are not capable, or if you're not doing that, you're not humble. If you get louder about what people do to you versus the things you've done to others or the things you've done to God, if you're not heartbroken about your stuff, or in other words, if you've got way more excuses about why you did what you did, and there's no grace at all when you think about what other people did, you're struggling with meekness. People have said this many times. Many times when we look at the stuff we do, we judge ourselves by our intentions and we judge other people by their actions. That's what we do. I'm going to judge you by your actions, but I need you to hear my intentions. That's not meekness. So you're getting ready to respond, and you've been offended. You got to run through. You got to run through these Beatitudes first. Okay, let me, let me acknowledge where I am first. Let me acknowledge there are certain areas that, that definitely still need to change. There are things that I am prone to do. There are things that I hold to. There are things that I feel, things that I think that are likely off Kilter. Let me start with that. Let me acknowledge what those things are. Yep. Man, this has really broken God's heart. And I'm really heartbroken over the ways in which I know the way I think, act, feel, whatever breaks God's heart. Now, when it's time to respond, can you see how your response might be a little bit different when you run through that 
uh, analysis first. You see how the way that we would, one of the reasons why we struggle with repenting to each other, because we don't run through those first two things first. We don't do that. We're just, if I know, especially if I know for sure that you're wrong, then let's, let's focus on your wrongness. I prefer that. That's a better conversation. I mean, why do we have to talk about the other stuff? Why do I got to do my stuff? Let's just talk about you right now. But if you always are in that mindset, we're not saying walk around again, self-flagellating, beating ourselves up. We're not saying that. We're just saying be honest about the things that are present because we repent better when we do that. If I've been functioning that way with you, you've been functioning that way with me, that if or when something comes up, we can really talk about it and deal with. If there's a fence that's occurred, we can do it. We can talk. We can deal with it. Why? I've seen what your patterns of repentance looks like. You've seen what my patterns of repentance look like. So what we said earlier, if you can't remember the last time you've genuinely repented to another person, there is a problem. If you can't recall the last time that you've, that you've repented, then either A, there's a place where you have not been poor in spirit, or B, there's a place where you have not mourned your spiritual brokenness. That's why we're not humble. So you see how these build one on top of the other. You cannot have one without the other. It has to start with the intellectual, the emotional, then the volitional. So you're seeing the beginning of the volitional, the, the acts. What do we do? The, the state of being, if you will, that starts to change. Man, my, my, my heart is broken. And now I have, in some ways, lowered myself from where I've inflated myself. And so now there's this, uh, this, this idea that if somebody injures or, or offends me, here's the way that I have to respond. Let me start with my brokenness and my mourning. Now I can respond with gentleness and not just fierce revenge when I'm talking or a fierce desire to decimate the other person. Because if I've mourned my sin well, I can't help but remember all the times I should have been decimated. So how could I fix my mouth to try to decimate you? Clearly, I have to see my sin is nowhere near as bad as yours. I said this years ago, and I really think it's true. You know, last week when we talked about Paul and we talked about the ways in which he changes how he talks about himself and the ways that he looks at himself as he grows as a Christian, his language becomes increasingly harder on himself, right? Talks about the least of the apostles at one point and later chief of all sinners. How in the world can a dude who wrote two thirds of the Bible say I'm the worst of y'all? Doesn't necessarily mean that if we were to look at the evidentiary things on the table about all the things he's actually done, that it would probably not. It probably wouldn't be as bad as some other people, maybe. But it's not about stacking up your good versus somebody else's bad. What it is, is you, I, will always be more acquainted with my sin than your sin. I'll always be more acquainted with mine. And if I'm more acquainted with mine, then I should be mourning mine more than I mourn yours. So if I'm mourning my sin more than I mourn yours, now I can enter into our conversation with gentleness. Doesn't mean we stop telling the truth but it means we enter with gentleness. So the next question is then, how do we deal with injustice towards others? This is where I think it's really interesting because while we are supposed to pull ourselves back when we're talking about our own heart posture, when we're defending ourselves, it actually works the opposite 
when we talk about sin against other people. You should be, and, and we see this in Jesus' life, right? Times when people are saying things to Jesus, people insulting him, saying all kinds of things. A lot of times, remain silent or gently responds, depending on the situation. But when we're talking about the injury to others or dishonor of God uh, or dishonor toward God, the meek respond gently to personal offense, but have a very righteous anger when others are treated unjustly. Are you more, are you more uh, frustrated or angry about things that are done to you or more angry about the things that are done to others? That's, that's actually a, a picture of meekness. That's exactly what Jesus modeled. Something should make, should incense you when you see anywhere where the kingdom of God is not on display. Man, that is not the way God's kingdom should look. Man, that should not be happening to people here. This should not be happening in a society in this way. That should make us angry and frustrated, right? This godly, righteous anger that's rooted in his anger. So it's like, I know God hates this. God hates sin. I hate sin. God hates injustice. I hate injustice. I'm going to mourn that in ways that are very different, right? From just mourning people sin against me individually. You see so many times, Jesus not retaliating when insulted, but when it came to other people being mistreated, when it came to God being dishonored, you saw his anger readily apparent, calling Pharisees serpents and whitewashed tombs. I'm not saying we got to call people that. I'm just saying Jesus did it. And in the ways that he did it, he's not just saying, here's some spicy language you can start using. He's basically saying, when you're angry about the stuff God's angry about, you can join him in his anger. You can join him. If, if there are things that are wrong, we can speak out and say that's wrong. That, by the way, won't go into too much, but that, by the way, is not divisive. That's a real popular thing to say. It's like, I don't want to talk about that because that's so divisive. We said it before. You can unite on the wrong things and divide over the right things. Jesus did that. If you think that's divisive, you're calling Jesus divisive. And that's okay. When he does this, he's angry at the ways, not only when, you remember when he's going in a, you know, he's that, that week, the triumphal entry, and everybody's worshiping him, and all these things are happening. By the time he gets to the temple, he's already fashioned a whip, and he's driving out twice, driving out people who are exploiting, taking advantage of, and dishonoring God's name. He's still meek. So when, when we look at the ways in which others are mistreated, where do your emotions go? Do you just go to, that's just too much. I, I don't like thinking about that because it just makes me so uncomfortable. It's just too much. I, I, don't, know that I, I don't know that I can really uh, uh, do this right now. I'm so busy. My life is busy enough as it is. I'm dealing with so many things. I can't worry about that. Well, that's really not how meekness should work either. On some level, we have to remain in that place where we are caring about the things God cares about. So here's a meekness test. How do we know if we're meek? How do I know? Well, the first way that we know that we are meek is we submit to God and we submit to God's word. That word submit, by the way, sub means under mission. That means that I am taking my mission and moving it under the mission of another. So that's all submission means. Let me move my mission below the mission of the one that actually matters most. Let me allow my mission to be in subjection to 
this more important mission. And so if I submit my will to God, submit my will to God's word, then the question is, how do I respond when things get hard? Do I get angry and rebel against God's mission? Because that's really what it is, right? Anytime we sin, ultimately what we're doing is we're rebelling against God's mission. Every single example of sin is an example of rebellion and a lack of submitting to God's mission. So when I'm frustrated or when I'm offended, do, do I step outside a pocket and do I get to a place where I'm like, yeah, I, I don't really care about God's mission right now. I need to give you this two-piece real quick. I don't really care about God's mission right now. I need revenge right now. I got some things that I've been waiting to say to you for a while. Let me get this out. The self-willed person will hear what God says, but then they reserve the right to disagree. God might say that, but I don't believe it. Or that may be what God says, but it's not what I want, and it's my life. So, Or maybe even worse, this is what I want, so it must be what God says. I'm going to do it anyway. We see a lot more of that, I feel like, now. This is what I'm feeling. I've searched myself. I found my truth. I know. And now I think that maybe I've, I've established this truth for me, and it feels so real that God must be in line with it. We got to be careful. There's no question we need to find out what's true in our lives, and we need to acknowledge and be honest and own the things that are true. But the question is, some of these areas that are incontrovertibly true about God, are they true about us? And when they're not, when they're incongruous on some level, we've got to ask the question, wait, what's happening? Am I, am I in rebellion? Am I lacking submission to God's will? So first part of the meekness test, right? Am I in submission to God's word? Meekness is the ability to flex according to the shaping influence of God's word. Second point, second area of meekness or the test uh, for meekness. Am I more angry about my sin against God and others or more angry about other sin against me? Got to ask yourself every time, how much mourning am I doing? Next, am I more angry about sins against me while apathetic about the pain of others who have been treated unjustly? Now, there are those, uh, we've all said it like, listen, I'm, I've said it, God's still working on me, I got these things, but sometimes we give ourselves license by saying things like, y'all, you got to understand, I just got anger issues. That's just, that's just a part of who I am right now from my background, my trauma, whatever. I got, I got anger issues. And so because of that, and none of these things I'm saying are necessary. I'm not saying it's bad if we have things that color these things for us. But when we rest on those as excuses versus explanations, there's a difference between an excuse and an explanation. I got a lot of things that might be wrong, and I can explain why they're there. You can understand the logical progression from how it got from A to G, but, but that doesn't excuse me from the responsibility I have to deal with that, to remedy that. So it's not enough to just go, listen, you know who I, this is just a part of who I am. I, I just got, I got anger issues. If you have anger issues, then you have a meekness problem. If you have anger issues, I'm just impulsive sometimes. My emotions get the best of me. Then you have a meekness problem. Or maybe you have a problem with your mouth. You ever seen, met someone 
They mean well, love them. They say the truth no matter what, the truth in their mind. They just don't have a filter. You ever met that person that just does not have a filter? Oftentimes, they are the best comedians, right? Because comedians can just get up. I'm not about to talk about no recent events, y'all, I promise. But oftentimes, comedians can just get up and say whatever they want to say, right? And the reason, you could tell those folks in school, the people who are just, every time they got a retort at the ready, they, they can come up with the funniest ways to chop you down, to say whatever. And some people, it does. It, it flows so effortlessly. It feels like a gift. It's like, man, how do you do that so quickly? It just came to your mind just like that. We used to have it. We used to play the dozens. We would sit and throw your mama jokes back and forth. I've impressed my kids with like 17 good your mama jokes that I used when I was a kid. Sebastian's like, they're not that funny, Dad. I promise you're not that cool. <clears throat> the older my kids get, the less cool I've gotten, too. I found that. Um, <laughs> But when you, when you think about that, many times you got these folks who are like comedians and they can just say what they want to say and they can just do it. And the reason why they were so funny growing up is because they didn't care who was in the room. They just said what they said. And maybe it's not people that are funny. Maybe it's people that are leaders and they say things that are major faux pas. They say things that are incredibly rude and harsh and, and frustrating. That's really popular in today's podcast world. Again, I'm not talking about some recent events either. But we love these podcasters who will come out and say things that are incredibly rude. Well, you may not like my tone, but I said the truth. You have a meekness problem. Because it's not enough for you to just come out and say what you believe to be true and go, and we say this, y'all, I just don't have a filter. I just speak my mind. You just got to understand that. No, we don't have to understand that. We should hold you to the standard Jesus set. Meekness, gentleness. That's never an excuse. I was just raised in a house with this is how we talk. Well, I'm from this kind of area, right? My region. Uh, I, come from, I come from the East Coast. I come from New York. That's what we do. You, you, issues coming up. We're not trying to care about your feelings. You got to deal with the issues that are there. We just say it. Again, that's not an excuse. So if you have a filter problem or a mouth problem, you have a meekness problem. So how do we grow in meekness? I would say this. We talked about this last week, and I'm going to keep coming back to this. If you have, when, because we often have a meekness problem, we need to yoke ourselves to Jesus. Yoke yourselves to Jesus. What do I mean by that? When you think about that, there's a reason why the Bible, uh, many of the authors of the Bible use this picture of a yoke when talking about what it means for us to grow and to mature, what it means to be yoked properly with believers versus unbelievers. It's it's beyond, I think a lot of times people kind of just focus on like relationships and marriage with that. And I think it's far beyond that. This is not really about making sure you date the right person, even though that's the most popular thing people use. In general, the way that we grow and mature is based off of who we are yoked with. So here, what is a yoke? When I was a kid, I could never understand why God cared about egg yolks. I was always like, crack an egg, and is it just the egg whites? And the yolk? Why are you talking about this? Nobody ever explained it to me until I had to learn my own. But when you think about the ways, again, these were very agrarian societies, and so it wasn't a shot for them to use farm references. When you had a big ox, you had oxen that were doing a lot of the work on the farm. In order to train a younger oxen, you would take the oxen and yoke them to 
an oxen that's doing the work. And hopefully they would be similar enough size so that the young oxen could start learning how to carry the weight the same way that the experienced oxen did. The problem happens when you are with an oxen that can't carry no weight. Now you're doing all the weight, you're carrying everything, and they begin to drag you down. So who are we yoked to? Jesus said, we said this last week, and Jesus has said it multiple, multiple times, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Because I'm meek and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You know how exhausting it is when you feel like you have to keep carrying all this yourself? You know how exhausting it is when you have to keep almost acting like it's all together? You know how exhausting it is to just keep uh, trying to, in many ways, attach artificial meekness to yourself so people think that you're meek? Using artificial, uh, good God-sounding words to convince people that you're meek? So it's kind of like the example we use when we talked about what it means to have the fruit of the Spirit, right? Gentleness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. But a lot of, you know how much harder it is to just keep having a staple fruit on a tree instead of just letting it grow from the root? And we, 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 we fruit staple all the time. I use a better picture that might really hit hard. I was talking to this with my kids. So I don't know, about a year and a half ago, I learned that there's a large number of people who don't believe in washing their legs. Now, I don't know if y'all remember this, but like in social media, it turned into this big thing. How many of y'all wash your legs? And it was a whole bunch of people in some interesting communities that were like, yo, we, we, don't, we don't wash our legs. We just, we just let the water and the soap just flow down. Now look, if that, listen, if I'm talking about you, don't give any indication I'm talking about you. I want to respond with gentleness, but y'all better wash your legs. Okay. Further, <laughs> I'm going to sit here for a minute. There are times where we are sitting in a place where we're like, yo, there are some people who are like, eh, I don't really even, you know, it's funny people make these jokes now, depending on where you come from. What do you use in the shower? Do people, there are some people who are like, I just go in the shower and I just let, take the soap, let it flow on my body and I'm good. Yeah. No judgment, but kind of judgment. Here's the thing. Here's why this is important. I promise it's going to have a point. Here's why it's important. Because you can let soap and water rinse your body, but you're not clean. You are only clean when you exfoliate, when you remove the things that are there so that the clean skin can come to the surface. So it's vitally important that spiritually, we are not in a place where we are stapling fruit rinsing ourselves with the word and not scrubbing and washing ourselves with the word. This is where real meekness comes. Guess what? It, is, it doesn't have to be exhausting anymore. Like when you are regularly scrubbing, guess what? You got to do less when you're scrubbing. Please, y'all, wash. No, I'm kidding. Okay, we're going to. Don't let that be the quote for the rest of this week, please, Jen. Please, y'all, wash. Man. But spiritually, this is so vitally important because basically everything about the Beatitudes is, is ultimately spiritual exfoliation regularly. What are you doing to remove the dead skin? So if we're going to be meek, 
We can't do it by just rinsing. We need Jesus. And when we yoke ourselves to Jesus, then the cleansing happens. Then the exfoliation happens. So are you allowing yourself to be trained by Christ? The one who submitted his rights to God and trusted God's judgment? Or are you allowing yourself to be trained by the conventional wisdom of today? Seeking earth instead of eternity. You have anger issues? Grow in meekness. You will control, gain control over your anger. Meekness and gentleness will start to moderate your passions. It will subdue your impulsiveness. You got a problem with your mouth? Grow in meekness. You will gain control over the harsh words and the quick put-downs that are coming so effortlessly to you. And lastly, Jesus says, yes, it's vitally important that we understand there's a blessing in the meekness, right? That gentleness that we can yoke ourselves to because we can receive genuine rest. But he says, as a result of that, when you are tied to Jesus in that way, here's the blessing. You will inherit the earth. Now, this is, this is less about what do I get, Right? But Jesus is genuinely showing the kingdom that God has offered and what it means for us to live in God's kingdom and what we, we are able to receive is tied to this. Now, there's a, it's interesting because throughout Jesus shows there's an inheritance attached to those who are connected to Jesus. And an inheritance, this inheritance, works a little bit differently than maybe some of our inheritances might work. Absent of an actual will that someone will put together so that you are actually listed in someone's will, it can get very difficult when you are supposed to get an inheritance, but it's not written down anywhere. So now you've got to work to earn and prove in the courts that you are supposed to be one of the folks who are inheriting this whatever treasure it is. You've got to prove it. You've got to do all this work. You've got to go back and figure out, okay, is this document here? Do I have a conversation from this person? Do I have witnesses that can show? So many different things you got to, hoops you have to jump through in order to make that happen. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to go to court for this inheritance. You don't have to actually do uh, the things that are typically attached to earning or asserting your inheritance. You don't have to worry about your name not being on the will. You don't have to worry about any type of a court battle to prove what's rightfully yours. Many times when you're doing that, and listen, y'all, this is the thing. The reason why I think this is huge is many of us, if we are in church for any period of time, we get anxious because we think I'm supposed to work my way into the will. I've got to work myself into. I had somebody tell me one time, they're like, you know, I know this person who they've been really close to this elderly person. They have a lot of money and they're just trying to do as many nice things as possible because they're hoping to get listed in their will. They're, they're just there every day to try to help get their groceries together and try to help. That's nice and everything, but they're just hoping that eventually the nice things they're doing will turn into a conversation where they can be listed in the will. And at one point this person died and they weren't in the will and guess what happened? They got so angry, frustrated. They're like, all that work that I did, all those times that I drove you to go get your dentures reset, all those times, these are things I actually said, all those times that I've taken you to get X, Y, and Z done, and you couldn't even list me in your will. I'm exhausted. You see, you don't have to work because that, that, that burden is easy. It's light. God, Jesus gives you rest. You don't have to work for your inheritance. 
anymore. You just yoke yourself to Jesus. You don't have to earn. You don't have to experience the level of anxiety and frustration and anger and heartbreak and ultimately a lack of real rest. Jesus says, bind yourself to me. Walk with me. If you walk with me, I'm meek. So learn meekness from me. And here's what's going to happen. You will find rest for your soul. Your inheritance is solid, and you will never have to prove your name or your goodness because I've given you mine. Blessed are the meek, the gentle, the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You are, you are good. And yet in your goodness, Father, we see, um, if we're honest, we see just how far away our own goodness is from yours. God, I thank you that you don't call us to just fake it. You don't call us to find some way to contrive godliness and contrive goodness and contrive gentleness. God, I'm thankful that you call us out where we are. Areas where we aren't gentle, you tell us we're not gentle. We look at the word, we can see what genuine love and care and humility should look like. And so you, you make it very clear all the ways in which we are not there. God, thank you for that. Thank you that uh, because your word is, is true and because you have made it clear all the ways in which we should be following you and yoking ourselves to you. I'm glad that you speak truth to us. I'm, I'm thankful that you don't leave us to divine our own truth and then follow that. And yet, God, I'm thankful that not only do you show us what goodness should be, call us to something better, but Lord, you don't leave us to figure it out on our own. You don't make us go to the field and just observe and watch strong ox, oxen operate. You bring us in with you. You carry us with you. You teach us to walk with you so that we can walk like you. So God, will you do that? God, I pray that you would identify, help us identify areas where we are not meek, where we are not humble, where we are not gentle. Let us not make excuses for our lack of gentleness. Let us be convicted, not a conviction that is without comfort and correction. No, let it be done so that not only we can say, yes, my, my rest is solidified and my inheritance is solidified, but more, God, can we say, I look more like you, your kingdom is on, is on display, your name, your kingdom is being made famous. Let it be done to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org 
or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.